0: Hello and welcome to my backyard. This is Michael Signorelli and I just missed you guys. It's been a couple of days already. I've noticed that the plays are going up and people are catching on. Um, Again, this is just my backyard in Indiana. The birds are chirping. This is not a soundtrack. I'm playing over my voice right now. This is actually utopia. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, I'm here in northwest Indiana and Really what this is, is me just sharing my devotional with you. This is my time with God, and I decided to do it out loud, Um, and there's been people kind of following me through this journey, and it's been awesome, but I wanted to talk to you about something that's been on my heart lately, Um, something that I've begun to see creep up in people who are new in the faith, and people who have been serving alongside of me. It's this idea that you are what you do, and how dangerous that idea is, you know, i I was on a worship team once with a guy who was a very prestigious worship leader at, at one point and uh, he w- at the time when I was working with him, he's in his 50s and you know I just suddenly realized that this ministry had just chewed him up and spit him out when he was no longer culturally relevant or vogue or on the cutting edge and there's this tendency in church to go through phases and we use people, especially in leadership, as we go through each phase. And when you're no longer needed, um, we find all these excuses to wrap God around it and to tell you that it's your time to transition and God's got something better or different for you. But the truth of the matter is it's our own uh, commercial version of church and what we think it should be. And my heart really broke for this man because I saw that he was typecasted uh, as a leader and there was a very specific course that was charted for him. And once he reached that final destination, that was it. And when you have uh, religion and Christianity functioning like that, especially around the world right now, it creates this identity in the doing. And so you say, I am the worship leader. And you aspire to be the worship leader. People prophesy over you and tell you that you're going to be the worship leader. But what happens when you're the 55-year-old guy and I said this to to someone the other day, one of the interns, she's in her 20s now, and we celebrate her every week for ripping up these songs and singing them better than anyone else can sing them. And I told her, I said, do you know there's going to come a day, maybe 20, 25 years from now, that we are actually making fun of you for the same songs that we're celebrating you for? Because that's what's happening right now. There's songs that 20, 25 years ago we were shouting in the Holy Ghost and uh, crying, and it was the most amazing thing ever And now it's just a joke or a parody to us. The same song is now a joke. And I think it's really important for you to understand what I want to go through today. It's about this. What is your real identity? Who are you really? And until you find this, you you won't have it. So let me jump off with this wisdom key. The, The destination and the journey is sonship or being a daughter. That's what it is. The journey and the destination is you being a daughter or being a son. That's it. And then the events along the way is singing a really good song or preaching a really good sermon or leading a small group. Those are events along the way of the journey and the destination of sonship or being a daughter. And what happens is when your entire journey and the destination is some position or title, that becomes so perverted that it's an event along the way to feel like you're a son. It's an event along the way to feel like you're a daughter. And what I want to get to you today is this, once you let this settle into your being, that I am a son and, or I am a daughter of the King of God and the intimacy of that relationship, then suddenly all this other stuff will unravel and you won't have religion anymore. You'll have a relationship. I've been looking at this book, The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brendan Manning. And listen, we at the end of the day are all just a bunch of ragamuffins. We are beggars and we are thieves, and we are orphans, and we are so hopelessly lost without the gospel. But what the gospel does is it lets us truly understand our real price. What's our true value? You know, on earth, the price of a thing determines its value. And so we constantly have to make sure when we go into the marketplace that we're paying a price that matches the value. If somebody said, hey, you know, here's this couch, you know, I'll sell it to you for $1,000, but... um, the value of the couch was only $200. We wouldn't pay that price. And in the same way, you know, your price was determined, your true value was determined by the price that Jesus paid for you. Heaven literally went bankrupt and gave everything when heaven gave Jesus. And so your price was everything that heaven had, the best of it. He- and so that determines your value. And so you'll never, your value is not determined by worship leading. Your value is not determined by uh, whatever leadership position you have in the religious institutions of church. That's not what it's all about. Your true value is determined by the price that heaven paid, and heaven paid everything when heaven gave Jesus for you. Man, I'm feeling it this morning in this backyard. They better watch out. Sometimes I wonder why my neighbors don't come out and start a little revolution because I get a little loud back here, but I'm excited. Let me read to you what Brennan Manning says about this. I'm on page 139, and it says, "...authentic faith leads us to treat others with unconditional seriousness and to a loving reverence for the mystery of the human personality." Authentic Christianity should lead to maturity, personality, and reality. It should fashion whole men and women living lives of love and communion. False, manhandled religion produces the opposite effect. Whenever religion shows contempt or disregards the rights of persons, even under the noblest pretext, it draws us away from the reality and of God. And I just want to say that I love this line. It says, even under the noblest pretext, you know, I've been hurt in church by a lot of people with the right motives. And when I, you know, do the intern uh, process of hiring, I often ask them this question, I say, what are you going to do the first time that I disappoint you? What are you going to do the very first time that I let you down? What are you going to do the very first time that I fail you? And they're often perplexed by that question because how many times in an interview has your boss asked you, (laughs) have you ever had someone ask you, what are you going to do when you realize I'm human? And that is a very difficult question for them to answer because I think a lot of times we have our exit strategy and we're like, well, we'll get hurt a couple of times, but how many times are you going to get hurt until you leave type of mentality in the church world? And a lot of times I've been hurt with people with with very noble intentions. For example, people like to do future telling prophecy and they'll say, one day you're going to be this international evangelist. God's going to call you all over the world to preach and to teach and to minister his word. And you get real hyped up on that and you say, okay, I'm going to go do it. But they leave out the whole journey that leads up to the fulfillment of that dream. And what they don't tell you is, well, you're going to learn character after years of scrubbing toilets, and God's going to teach you consistency after year and year of coming to church and handing out bulletins. And then after He trusts you and you laid a foundation and your character can sustain the gift that He's given you, He's going to send you all around the world to preach and teach. They leave out the character building journey along the way. And then they create this rock star mentality inside of you and kind of set you up for Disappointment because then, when God gives you the assignment to scrub a toilet or God gives you the assignment to hand out a bulletin, you're like, wait a second, this isn't compatible with what you, I was told by the man of God, by the great prophet. I, I was told that I was going to preach and teach all over the world. This isn't compatible. We have to ask ourselves, what is it really all about? Even people with the noblest intentions sometimes get it wrong. And so, my message to you this morning is. Maybe religions messed it up. Don't go and start a home group. Um, what I like to call the home licking groups, the the uh, or the wound licking groups. You know, you get together and you talk about everything that you hate about the people who wounded you. Um, the cross is strong enough for you to enter into an intentional community and stay there and grow and develop and be the change that you want to see. Um, doesn't mean you have to submit yourself to abuse or stay in, in, in a, a, an abusive scenario, but it does mean that um, healthy things grow. And you know, in New York City it's funny because there's this phenomenon. If you if when the sub in the subway station when the cars pull up, if there's a car with only one person in it, don't get in, in that subway car because it's gonna smell real bad. Somebody's probably defecated or vomited or something in that car. Um, you know, oftentimes there's a reason why the other cars are full and one of them's empty. And, you know, if someone's <clears throat> got like a, a group or something meeting at their house and that's cool, it doesn't mean that's not the beginnings of something that God could have his hand on. But beware of these uh, wound licking crews um, that have abandoned churches and don't have the intestinal fortitude to be the change in churches that God's called them to and, or to submit to spiritual authority. They've gone rogue and they're rebels. And all they're going to breed is more rebellion. Um, don't and be careful of that. You know, healthy things grow. Some churches are huge because they're seeker sensitive and they're uh, commercialized the gospel. But some churches are huge because they're healthy places where the leadership loves loves them and isn't perfect, but they're perfect hearted. And these churches grow because. God's, um, God is he's breathing on it every day because uh, the leadership all the way down is creating an opportunity for growth and creating an opportunity for um, people to realize and reach their potential and fulfill their destiny. And why did I say all that? I said that because um, manhandled religion is on its way out. And people are coming into an awareness now that there's more. Let me keep reading. It says, John's gospel shows the religious leaders of Israel worried about Jesus. So it says, the chief priests and Pharisees called a meeting. Here's this man working all these signs, they said. What actions are we taking? If we let him go on uh, this way, everybody will believe in him and the Romans will come and suppress the holy place of our nation. One of them, and his name was Cephas, the high priest that year said, You do not seem to have grasped the situation at all. You failed to see that it is your advantage that one man should die for the people rather than that the whole nation should perish. So a terrible thing had happened to this man's heart. Religion has left the realm of respect for person. And for this Pharisee, sacredness had become institutions, structures, and abstractions. He is dedicated to, quote unquote, the people, so individual flesh and blood, men are expendable. This Pharisee is dedicated to the nation, but the nation does not bleed like Jesus. This Pharisee is dedicated to the temple, impersonal brick and mortar. This Pharisee became impersonal himself. Self, no longer a warm human being, but a robot, a fixed and as fixed and rigid as his unchanging world. What I don't want to do with the church is create a situation where I where I think that I care about the right things. I think that I'm the one who sees it. I'm the one who's got the revelation. This is why we do what we do. And I miss the person in the process. You know, for those of you who are listening, as we've went through this morning and and sat in the backyard and kind of discussed this topic. I want you to know that God is enough, that the cross is enough, that his people, the church is enough, that you don't have to go rogue, that you don't have to go run off trying to fulfill your own desire, your own, your that the strength is in the unity, that we cannot create these institutions of brick and mortar and yet miss the person. Here's the thing: church is messy. You're gonna get hurt in the process of loving a whole bunch of wounded people because their instincts are all perverted. You know, they're gonna bite the hand that feeds every single day. They're going to do you wrong. People are going to talk about you. They're going to gossip about you. That doesn't give you license to run away from the very thing that God's called you to. You've got to get yourself into such a place of security and identity where you're like, they truly can't hurt me and take me out of the game because I know who I am. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. Leading a great worship song. Preaching a great sermon. Those are just events. But the journey and the destination is I am a son of the King and I'm protected. And he He's got me. He's the God of justice. He will revenge. He will repay. And when God has truly done his work in your heart, you'll have this freaky experience. Will you turn around and you'll actually start praying and interceding for those who hurt you because you'll either understand it or you'll empathize so much that you would never want them to pay the price of hell for what they've went for what they've done to you. And God's brought me to that place where I find myself crying for people who've hurt me, crying that they don't have to experience the shame shackles and the chains and the bondage of darkness, that they don't have to go through all the hell um, of finding out what it really means to get free. You know, sometimes people go on these journeys. I'm like, God, save them from that. I went on that walk. I've done that path before. Please save them from that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's through my identity that I can that I can say that. Here's my thing, especially as a leader, I expect to be the dumbest person on my team. I expect to be the least qualified person on my team. I don't have any insecurities about me. God's called me to do something so much bigger than me, so much uh, bigger than my ability to make it happen. And I expect to for people to go twice as far as I ever have. And so when it starts to happen, I celebrate it. There you go, come on with it. I'm just a stupid hillbilly from Indiana, and I'm trying to take New York City. Of course, I'm gonna need some people smarter than me to pull this thing off. And But it's out of the security that I have, knowing every single day that Jesus wraps me in his loving arms and he calls me son. He lets me fail and he lets me learn. He wraps his arms around me and he tells me, come on, get back up and try it again, son. He speaks into my ears, love. He's speaking into your ears, love right now and wrapping his arms around you as we come to a close and He's just telling you what you already know deep, and it's resonating in your spirit. I love you just the way that you are. Of course, you're going to change, but you're not going to change because of Pharisee, Um, thinks that they have it figured out, and runs you through the program, you're going to change because His loving kindness and His tenderness is going to draw you deeper and deeper into a relationship with Him. And as you stare into His loving eyes, and you watch His mouth form the lips that tell you that you are enough, because He is enough, suddenly some inadequacies will break off of you. And that's God's design it's always been His design for us to be in the garden, walking in the in the cool of the day, surrounded, completely enveloped by His presence, knowing His thoughts, Him being inspired by our thoughts. We are created to be creators. You know, in the garden, Adam named the animals and God made them. And you see this beautiful relationship. And there's so much mess and garbage in this life. And sometimes it's hard to see the forest from the trees. You know, you you look and How could this make any sense, God? And God's like, I've called you to co-create this reality with me. You can take this mess of clay and you can make a masterpiece. You can make this mess, this knotted ball of yarn and make it into something beautiful. And so really what it comes down to at the end of the day is that you are called to redeem. You are called to do what God has done in your own life, which is to take the broken things of the world and make mosaics out of it, to take the broken things of the world and make glass windows and build a place of worship and an altar before god and so here's what i want to do i want to pray a special prayer for you in closing and uh we're just going to go ahead and invite god into the last last minute of this this morning so heavenly father i pray right now that the person that's listening would suddenly have their eyes open, that they are called to take the brokenness of their life and put it together and make a stained glass window. Lord, that they are they are called to take the knotted ball of yarn, God, all the mess of their life, the mess of generations before them, and unravel it and make into a beautiful quilt, God. Lord, that I thank you that you are just causing us to see what the natural eyes don't see and hear what the natural eyes don't hear today, God. I thank you that you are taking us to a place where we're going to transcend the pharisaical religion, God, that we are going to have a relationship with you, God, that we're not going to claim to have it all figured out because sometimes our best plan could be your worst idea ever. And we want to be so in touch with you and your heart and who you are that we don't miss it, Father. And I just thank you today that you are breathing on us, wrapping your arms around us, God, that you're calling us, calling us back to a place of relationship with you, even calling those back to churches that have left intentional community God that you're calling them back God that you're they're, that they're not going to be called to a place of continual venom and continual um, just bitterness God but you're just causing a freedom to come over their heart now so that they can come Lord God into a place. healthy things grow God don't let us be the only ones standing in the in the train car in New York City with. Um, with, Don't let us be the one standing all alone in that place, God, not realizing that it's the vomit of our own gossip that's caused us to be alone in the car of life, God. But let us walk out of that place and join the places that are full of life and full of people. Lord, I just thank you that this podcast is probably only 15 to 20 minutes, but it's enough to cause a huge breakthrough in the lives of those who are listening right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, I love you. I'll see you next time. If you are listening on iTunes, make sure that you hit subscribe. Copy the link and share it on your Facebook with someone. If you are listening via SoundCloud, hit me up with some comments at the points where you are inspired and God spoke something. Repost this as well. Love you guys, and I'll talk to you real soon. This is Mike. I'm out.